Here it is! From deep inside your audio device of choice. I'm undergoing self-isolation. It's the only way to be. Just for the lack of stimulation. So come self-isolate with me.
From the home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer. This is the show. And I was reminded this weekend of a couple of um, little notes that were buried in the uh, memory hole. It was uh, 2005 when uh, a TV celebrity by the name of uh, Donald Trump complained that his show, The Apprentice, was supposed to have won an Emmy. And uh, unfortunately, as he said at the time, the Emmys were rigged, and he was cheated. It was, uh, he said, a kind of a fraud. In 2016, the Iowa caucuses were won by someone other than him, and he publicly complained that the Iowa caucuses were rigged and fraud had taken place. It, it it almost seems as if it's, I know this sounds hard to believe, as if it's some kind of pattern. And now, speaking of things that are hard to believe, news of our friend the Adam. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, safe, too safe to meet. Safe, safe, too safe to meet. This certainly couldn't be true here in the United States. It's apparently true in the United Kingdom. The Nuclear Decommissioning Authority, the NDA, has a perpetual lack of knowledge about the state and location of the waste on the 17 nuclear sites it's responsible for making safe. That's according to a committee of members of parliament, reported in The Guardian. This results they say, from (laughs) decades of poor record-keeping, nuclear sites, ladies and gentlemen, and weak government oversight. That's what the MPs said, combined with a sorry saga of incompetence. There's your alliteration for you. And failure. This has left taxpayers footing the bill for, quote, astronomical sums, according to the committee. I know it. it is hard to believe, isn't it? The NDA acknowledges that, that it still doesn't have full understanding of the condition of those sites, including 10 closed Magnox, not Magnavox, that would be nice, Magnox stations uh, from Dungeness in Kent to Hunterston and Ayrshire. The NDA's most recent estimate is that it will cost current and future generations of UK taxpayers 170 Six billion dollars, they'll do it in pounds, to decommission the civilian nuclear sites, and the work won't be completed. Stand, sit down for this. You are sitting down. Stand up for this. The work won't be completed for another 120 years. I said, oh, you know what I said. Since 2017, the uh, NDAs, that's Nuclear Decommissioning Authorities, upper estimate of the cost of the 12 to 15 year program just to get the sites to the care and maintenance stage of the decommissioning process. Just the care would be good. Uh, that upper estimate of cost has increased by $4.1 billion to $11.6 billion. Quote, our past experience suggests these costs may increase further. Yeah, my experience too, babe. Yes, I babed the Nuclear Decommissioning Authority. You heard it. The lack of knowledge of the sites was a significant factor in the failure of a 2014 contract the NDA signed with a private company to decommission the Magnox sites, 
The government was forced to take back the contract two years later. The botched bid has now cost taxpayers $187 million, the MPs found. Uh, but that was the cost of nothing. You know, nothing isn't cheap these days. Sir Geoffrey Clifton Brown, deputy chair of the Public Accounts Committee, said, quote, although progress has been made since our 2018 report, incredibly, the NDA still doesn't even know where we're currently at. Where you at? In terms of the state and safety of the UK's disused nuclear sites. Without that, and after the Magnox contracting disaster, it's hard to have confidence in future plans or estimates. You said it, babe. Yes, I babed Sir Jeffrey Clifton Brown. The NDA, with stronger, better oversight from government, must make a clear break with the incompetence and failures of the past and step up to maximize the use of the astronomical sums of taxpayers' money it has absorbed. Unquote. Sir Jeffrey Clifton Brown. Meg Hillier, the... PAC chair, that's the Public Accounts Committee, said the UK went from leading the world in establishing nuclear power to this sorry saga of a perpetual lack of knowledge about the current states of the UK's nuclear sites. That was a journey. See, in America, we call that a journey. The MPs recommended the NDA speed up its work. (laughs) I would recommend it, and I haven't even investigated it. Quote, it may be possible to reduce the time it will take to fully decommission the sites, from around 85 years to more like 40 or 45 years, this could significantly reduce the long-term cost, unquote. Conversely, extending the amount of time it would take would raise the cost. I just figured that out myself. They also said taxpayers' money could be saved by accelerating the program to create a geological disposal facility to permanently store highly radioactive waste currently held in interim facilities. And the taxpayers' money could also be saved by world peace. Seems like a pattern, doesn't it? Maybe that's the theme. No. Deadline Richland in Washington, May of last year, workers at the Permafix plant pulled a hunk of radioactive waste from a powerful kiln heated to 2100 degrees, <laughs> degrees Fahrenheit hot enough to ensconce the material in glass for eventual burial. The workers let it cool, apparently not long enough, according to the Seattle Times, before setting it on a pallet. The residual heat caused the wood in the pallet to burn. A crew from the plant sprayed chemicals on the fire. Richland firefighters arrived to finish the job. A Washington Department of Ecology inspector noted in a report that the alarm system was not operating that month and that the incident, quote, could have been catastrophic. Unquote. Just another bullet we dodged, I guess. One of two fires at Permafix. (laughs) Maybe it's Permafire. In 2019, that were not publicly disclosed by the company or state regulators. Well, if you've got to have a secret, you need a... A partner. It offers an unsettling example of how things can go wrong at the private facility that treats radioactive and hazardous materials trucked in from Hanford, where they made the bombs with the plutonium. No, they made the plutonium for the bombs. Permafix has thrived as a low-cost operator. You see, by virtue of its location just outside the Hanford site. It's able to operate 
without unions and beyond federal oversight of the Department of Energy and the Defense Nuclear Facilities Safety Board. That board publishes weekly inspection reports, but it doesn't deal with permafix because it's outside the limits of the, of the compound. In the years ahead, officials with Atlanta-based permafix are trying to uh, have their company take part in Hanford's hardest, most difficult remaining cleanup, stabilizing the highly toxic wastes in 177 aging tanks left over from making the plutonium. An investigative report released by the Seattle Times by the watchdog group Hanford Challenge documents the fires as well as other mishaps and compliance problems. They say it calls into question the safety of sending Hanford's wastes to permafix. Where are you going to send it? Who's going to? Oh, to Britain. Yeah. There is work at Hanford. This is work that Hanford workers have done well in the past and should be doing now. Hanford has the built-in capacity to handle this waste and handle it in a safer, more transparent, and more accountable manner, wrote um, a one-time top Energy Department official now working for Hanford Challenge, or at least writing for Hanford Challenge. Much of the report is based on thousands of pages of documents based on the uh, what they got under the state's Public Disclosure Act from the Department of Health. The Department of Health licenses facilities to possess radioactive materials and monitors emissions. They also got documents from the State Department of Ecology. That sounds quaint. Which regulates permafix operations involving hazardous materials. That's some good regulating. The records show problems with how the waste has, on occasion, been stored, handled, and labeled. <laughs> that would be the big three. <laughs> um... And how, at times, the emissions have been monitored. Permafix's compliance problems have resulted in more than half a million dollars in state and federal fines in 11 years. A decade-plus's worth of wrist slaps have achieved their objective. News of our friend, the Adam. But, you know, ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't make any difference. We can do whatever we want. Because we've got Dominion. Dominion. They sound like they really care, don't they? Hey, I hope you don't like platypuses. Because, uh, you you know, my, have you ever seen one? I've seen one. They're great. But um, you might never see one now. The habitat of the platypus has shrunk by almost a quarter in three decades. That's a warning from researchers relayed to us via the BBC. An egg-laying mammal known for its duck-like bill. The platypus is found in river systems in eastern Australia. Human intervention in those waterways, bad droughts, not the good ones, we, and introduced predators have ravaged the platypus's habitats. Researchers and conservation groups have called for Australia to classify the species as nationally threatened. Habitat loss amounted to 22%, about 200,000 square miles, just since 1990, according to the team from the University of New South Wales. They have a university. Protecting the platypus and the rivers it relies on must be a national priority for one of the world's most iconic animals, said the lead author. 
He continued, there's real concern that platypus populations will disappear from some of our rivers without returning if rivers keep degrading with droughts and dams, unquote. And they don't even have a U.S. Army Corps of Engineers down there. Would you like ours? New South Wales had seen a 32% drop in platypus observations within the past 30 years. Well, maybe the observations were doing it. You know, like uh, Schrodinger's cat? Uh, 27% drop in Queensland, 7% in Victoria. In some areas near Melbourne, the rate was as high as 65%. Well, memo to platypuses, stay out of Melbourne. And they did. And the proliferation of pits and ponds created in recent years by miners digging for small deposits of alluvial gold, Tom. Alluvial gold. That sounds like a, a segment in a rock and roll station's lineup. Alluvial gold. That, though, this would be happening in Peru's Amazon, far away from rock and roll radio stations. That proliferation of pits and ponds has dramatically altered the landscape. What do you think? and increased the risk of mercury exposure for indigenous communities and wildlife, as according to a new study from Duke. Hey, Duke! In heavily mined watersheds, there's been a 670% increase in the extent of ponds across the landscape since 1985, and they don't mean the cold cream. These ponds are almost entirely artificial lakes created as thousands of former mining pits fill in with rainwater and groundwater over time said uh, the co-leader of the study. Landscapes formerly dominated by forests are now increasingly dotted by these small lakes, which, according to the study, provide low oxygen conditions in which the submerged mercury, which itself is a toxic leftover from the gold mining process, can be converted by microbial activity into an even more toxic form of mercury, methylmercury, at rates five to seven times greater than in your normal river. Methylmercury poses especially high risks for humans and large predators because it bioaccumulates in body tissue as it moves up the food chain. You know what that means, right? Small animals eat it, then larger animals eat them, get more. That's particularly concerning given the high biodiversity and the large number of indigenous populations that live in the Peruvian Amazon, said a co-leader of the study. These heightened risks likely also occur in other locations where unregulated artisanal small-scale gold mining takes place. Those damn artisans, including Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, and other parts of South America. This study was published in Science Advances. Artisanal gold miners use mercury to separate their gold ore from soil and sediments, even though the mercury is a potent neurotoxin. Would you like some neurotoxin with that gold? And they do this with, often without adequate safety precautions to themselves or the environment. Mercury poisoning, since you asked, can cause a wide range of health impacts. Your tremors, your muscle weakness, your vision and hearing impairments. In severe cases, birth defects or death. Some of the mercury used by the miners is burned off into the air. <coughs> or spilled into nearby rivers, creating far-reaching environmental and human health risks, well-documented in past studies. The new study is the first to document how the mining has altered the landscape and simultaneously amplified the risks of mercury poisoning through the creation of the ponds and microbial processing of mercury into the methylmercury 
that happens at those ponds, you see. Yeah, we create ponds, and we're good at it, because we've been given dominion. How do you say that again, boys? You don't have to yell. Now, ladies and gentlemen, news of our smart, smart world. Uh, First of all, the cloud. You do know that the cloud doesn't exist up there, right? It's not in the sky. It is, like everything else, affected by gravity. If it were in the sky, it wouldn't stay there long. The cloud is a bunch of servers on some... uh, Formerly worthless real estate in uh, the southeast United States, much of it. And some of it went bluey this week. Amazon's widely used cloud computing service suffered a major outage this week in its eastern U.S. operations, hampering everything from services to for web-connected security cameras to software applications that businesses use to design products. Starting mid-morning Wednesday, a variety of Amazon Web Services applications began to fail, according to the Washington Post, including ones that deliver data and authorize users to access that data. That hobbled companies that rely on AWS, ironically including Ring security cameras owned by the very same Amazon. Yes, it's it's cannibalizing itself now, ladies and gentlemen. Others affected included iRobot's Roomba, vacuum cleaner, services from design technology firm Autodesk, the publishing systems of news outlets such as the Washington Post. AWS is the world's largest provider of cloud computing services. This lets computers rent storage and processing capabilities over the Internet instead of running their own data centers, you know, being self-sufficient like. AWS competes in the business of providing computing infrastructure, via the cloud, <laughs> against Microsoft and Google. It is now Amazon's most profitable business. They held 45% of the global market in 2019. Companies as diverse as Netflix, Kellogg's, and Airbnb run significant pieces of their computing on AWS. That dominance comes with a price. When its operations go down, they can take out wide swaths of the web, as shown this past Wednesday without outage. Amazon offered little in the way of explanation. Quote, we're working toward resolution. Then, um, a few hours later, Amazon wrote it, wrote, <laughs> wrote it on the status page that it had, quote, identified the root cause of the problem. It was working to resolve it. By mid-afternoon, it updated its status report, saying it expects full recovery to still take up to a few hours. The uh, region affected, northern Virginia cities, is the oldest in Amazon's operation. It launched in 2006. You didn't even know. Nor did I. New account activation in the mobile app for streaming media service Roku were hampered. Target-owned shipped delivery service could receive and process some orders, although it was taking steps to manage capacity because of the outage. Flickr A photo storage service tweeted customers couldn't log in or create an account. The disruption took down the ability to log in or watch video of the Ring security camera system. Well, there's your security. It went down. Roomba, made by iRobot, 
said the outage was currently impacting our iRobot Home app that manages its vacuums. So it bumps into the coffee table. News sites such as the Wall Street Journal and the Chicago Tribune also noted the outage affected their operations. A massive AWS, Amazon Web Services, outage two years ago disabled large chunks of the Internet, including Slack, Medium, and Quora. That outage also hit the Northern Virginia region, was caused by a human error. An employee mistyped a command, taking down huge portions of the system and knocking out the core storage service. In a late update, Amazon now reports that uh, the cause of this latest outage was them trying to add capacity to their system. Amazon customers are being automatically opted into Sidewalk, according to Business Insider. This is a feature set to launch later this year that the company says will collect, sorry, connect Alexa devices to nearby Wi-Fi networks, even those owned by someone else. Sidewalk uses Alexa devices and ring doorbells to create a, quote, shared network, unquote, meant to help devices work better. Don't you want that? Wouldn't you like that? Can I charge you something for it? Amazon said in an email to device owners, it allows nearby devices to use a portion of a neighbor's Wi-Fi bandwidth so the devices can have more range. Who wouldn't want that? Don't you want more range? Do you want less range? Hi, I'm Less Range. Amazon said on a launch page, these bridge devices, the service is called Bridge, and that's called a service, share a small portion of your Internet bandwidth, which is pool together to provide these services to you and your neighbors. And when more neighbors participate, the network becomes even stronger. Wouldn't you like that? Anticipating privacy concerns, Amazon published a research paper detailing the technology and the steps taken to keep users' data private. The company concluded privacy was one of the foundational principles of Sidewalk's design, but they misspelled principles. And, you know, one of the founda- foundational principles. The others are screw privacy. By sharing a small portion of their home network, bandwidth neighbors give a little but get a lot in return, the report's authors said. Some are still skeptical about user privacy, user data privacy. A professor at the University of Surrey, Surrey, wrong number, he specializes in cybersecurity, told BBC that Sidewalk should be an opt-in feature. It feels wrong, he says, not knowing what your device is connected to. This is from Business Insider. It sure does feel wrong, don't it? No! Feels great. The chief information security officer at Sijax told Forbes the launch was a deeply problematic thing from a privacy perspective. The on-by-default approach is not consumer-friendly. No one rides on my Wi-Fi for free, especially a giant corporation with billions of dollars, he said. An Amazon representative confirmed Sidewalk would be automatically enabled for existing customers. Well, you existing customers are kind of lucky, don't you think? Major security flaws in popular smart doorbells are putting consumers at risk of being targeted by hackers inside their homes, according to the British consumer guide called Which? Which? And you have to go into falsetto to say it. Which? The consumer group says devices being sold on marketplaces such as Amazon and eBay could easily be hacked or switched off by criminals. It's asking the government for new legislation to safeguard consumers. 
among the most common flaws, weak password policies, and a lack of data inscription. How long have we been hearing that about this stuff? And it stays that way. Must be good. A team of researchers demonstrated that popular robotic household vacuum cleaners can be remotely hacked to act as microphones. I'm speaking to you through one now. No, I'm not. The researchers, including an assistant professor at the University of Maryland's Department of Computer Science, collected information from the laser-based navigation system in a popular vacuum robot, applied signal processing and deep learning techniques to recover speech and identify television programs playing in the same room as the vacuum. Research demonstrates the potential for any device that uses LIDAR, light detection and ranging, also used in uh, driverless cars. That technology can be, can, be min can be manipulated for collecting sound despite not having a microphone. We welcome these devices into our homes and we don't think anything about it, said Nurupan Roy, assistant professor, that, that, that aforementioned assistant professor at the University of Maryland. Institute for Advanced Computer Studies. But we've shown even though these devices don't have microphones, we can repurpose the systems they use for navigation to spy on people, conversations, and potentially reveal private information. Privacy experts have suggested the maps made by vacuum bots, often stored in the cloud, pose potential privacy breaches that could give advertisers access to information about such things as home size, which adjusts income level, and other lifestyle-related information. You see, sound waves cause objects to vibrate. These vibrations cause slight variations in the light bouncing off an object, which is picked up by LIDAR. What a smart, smart world. Is 
This is Le Show, and, and one other part of the pattern I neglected to mention earlier. Um, in the wake of the 2016 election, Donald Trump fumed that he'd been cheated because, contrary to what had been reported and certified by everyone else, he believed that uh, if there hadn't been f- massive fraud... He would have won the popular vote as well. Yeah, it is a pattern. Speaking of Donald Trump, he, the guy who made him famous enough to run for president, Mark Burnett, the creator of um, The Apprentice and the creator of the Donald Trump America Thinks It Knows, you know, the judicious, sagacious decision maker at the in the boardroom. Mark Burnett had um, a hit before that called Survivor. He had... I think one more called um, The Voice. And then he um, became head of MGM television. Remember with the lion and the thing? And the Hollywood Reporter is, uh, ran a piece this week saying that um, he occupy, uh, occupies an ambiguous position of power. He's not only failed to generate new hits for the company, but that he has been much like the president with whom he is associated, an agent of chaos in the studio. He's having a problem in terms of uh, 
the lack of new reality hits. He had scored record ratings with a a History Channel series, The Bible, uh, with his wife, Roma Downey. But their Netflix series, Messiah, debuted in January to poor reviews and canceled after one season. MGM veterans note that Burnett was not the force behind the company's scripted television department and its hits, The Handmaid's Tale and Fargo. He was hired to do what he does, non-scripted television, at which, um, according to the reporter and people they quote, he's uh, not not so successful at the job so far. Meanwhile, his, uh, his creation... President Trump has been on the rampage all week claiming again and again that he was cheated, that there was massive fraud in the 2020 election predicting that um, people would soon realize that unlike the appeals court uh, three three, uh, judge appeals court panel in Pennsylvania which threw out the case that um, Rudy Giuliani had brought on his behalf. The uh, time for certifications to be in from the states and for the Electoral College to gather, not really, and vote, um, is is fast approaching. And uh, while murmurings come from the White House that uh, (laughs) President Trump um, is coming to grips with the situation. His public pronouncements don't uh, show much sign of that. He had one kind of ambiguous quote that suggested he uh, he saw the writing on... Well, he saw the wall, if not the writing. And his chief of staff, Mark Meadows, has been out uh, among the fiercest of the remaining loyalists, along with uh, Rudy, Rudy Giuliani, of course, who's Charging $20,000 a a week, a month, a year, a night, something ridiculous, to um, maintain the (laughs) the president's belief that he won the election. It all sounds like this. This week, for the first time, thinking outside the box is the new box. And for the businessman turned chief executive... Time is not only his enemy, it's cheating, too. So, Mark, mm-hmm. nice few hours out on the links, huh? <laughs> not bad chief of staff duty for a holiday weekend, right? Oh, I was great, sir. I don't know why I haven't been out to one of your courses before. You mean besides the fact I didn't invite you? <laughs> well, of course. I just meant... It was just time for us to bond a little bit. I can tell you that. Ever see anybody hit that many holes in one? Absolutely not, sir. I'm just sorry there wasn't room for me on the cart. Hey, presidential park. Mm-hmm. I get to spread out. <laughs> you caught up eventually, just in time to see the ball come up out of the cup. Well, amazing run of, I guess you'd have to call it, uh, incredible shots. You better call him that. <laughs> so look, I need some chief of staffy right now. Uh-huh. My legal team, such as it is, can't seem to keep our cases in the courts. Especially that Sydney woman. Who names a girl Sydney? The only place she'd get a tumble is in the clothes dryer. Well, sir, the legal process is uh, sort of out of my lane, but... Breaking news to Mark. 
this is an extra special time. Everything's in your lane. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As of two weeks ago, in case I forgot to tell you. Mm-hmm. So, the courts. Sir, I have spoken to a couple of guys in the White House Counsel's Office. Uh, they're saying the judges are impatient with what they call the lack of proof of massive fraud ah. as well as the fact that Mr. Giuliani is saying to some of the judges that some of these suits aren't alleging fraud. So Yeah, yeah, Rudy thought he could break the fraud thing as a surprise once he had the judges full attention. Well, but on the other hand, you know what's massive? One man's puny is another man's massive, believe me. So, look, we need someone good to argue in front of. Oh, I have no problem with you, argue sir. Argue the case. Right, of course. I should have... Geraldo Rivera is a lawyer, isn't he? Ah. Uh, of course, you don't have to be a lawyer to be a judge, right? Or well, do you? Uh, I don't know. My grades were too good for law school. Well, your friend Judge Janine... Yeah, she's not a real judge. She was a real DA, but... Uh, judge Judy is a real judge. It says so every day. Oh, that would be a ratings monster. Her hearing our case. <laughs> but she's so freaking rich. Probably cost us a fortune. Well, we're sending out a shed load of fundraising letters anyway. Okay. Look, Mark, mm-hmm. you got two tasks this week. Yeah. One, find a judge who will hear Rudy's damn case. Doesn't matter where, he loves to fly. Okay, sir, on it. And what's the other task? Make sure everybody knows about my damn holes in one. I'm not doing it for my health, right? Hello, Mr. President. Sorry I haven't been uh, returning your calls. I've had a couple of little fires to put out here at MGM. and uh, I, uh, I've been hearing somebody's painted a target on Mark Burnett's back. Well, as you know, that's the nature of the business once the hits don't keep coming. Sharks, blood, water, but you know I'm always here for you eventually. What's up? Mark, you've always known me to be a bottom-line, down-to-earth kind of guy, right? I've always known you to be the best version of you, Don. Uh, uh, Mr. Don. Don't worry about the Mr. stuff. <laughs> okay, so I'm no moron. I know I may well be saying goodbye to the Resolute Desk. Well, I'll let you take the uh, little one with you, though, won't they? Oh, forget about the little desk. Somebody decided they'd try something. They won't do that again. But look, Mark, you're the genius of television, even though you haven't had a smash hit since me. So why don't we do something together next spring, next summer? Oh, I'd love to work with you again, sir. I do tend to think the apprentice thing uh, may be dead. Hey, it was dead in season six. So we'd need a, a, a totally different concept. Um, how about you taking a group of people and teaching them how to be president? I won't be president, maybe. Well, we can build a White House set. Half the people watching will think you're still there anyway. I'm thinking we build on what I do best. Right, which is, um, pardon me, I've been focusing on my problems here, so I haven't... Freaking tweeting, for God's sake. I can do it any time, and I'm directly reaching almost as many people as I think voted for me. More, if Twitter wasn't rigging their numbers. Right, and uh, we, we, we would, what with that, um, sorry, I'm a step behind here. I do my tweets on camera four or five times a day longer, like no 240-word limit, like that ever stopped Trump, but it's not on some stupid app. It's on real TV, like Newsmax, and it's not like when the media read my tweets, Oh, Donald Trump said today Georgia was fraud. You remember what you said when we first met? Of course. I saw your steak commercial, and I said your delivery told me you meant every word of it. When I said it, right. So, you taking a number of people into the jungle and doing that there? That sounds fresh. Mark, no people, no jungle, cheap, easy, one piece of talent. Maybe bring in the family. Oh, de- definitely bring in the family. The, the viewer feels like he or she is part of the family. You know, if I have a big golf date, Don Jr., Eric, Ivanka, 
maybe even Kim Guilfoyle. You know, she used to work at Fox, so I guess they, they didn't teach her how a microphone works. Uh, sorry? You didn't see my convention? I have been up to here with all the MJ business. I'm Okay, so... look. Your task for this week. Sell this thing. Trump tweet TV? Yeah, first thing, get a better name. Then sell it to anybody. Top bidder wins. Except for Fox. Yeah, done on Fox now, are we? You really haven't been paying attention. I've... And look, Mark, if this thing hits like I think it's going to, this could help you with the whole MGM thing. My friend... Stranger things have happened. New team, new tasks, same mission. We're going to make almost winning great again. Now, the world is his boardroom. The Presidentis. This week, the only difference between concede and succeed is suck. And now, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. Washington football team owner Dan Snyder, by the way, that is the name of the team. You probably remember them as the Redskins. <laughs> uh, Dan Snyder, in a rare on-the-record interview, apologized for the work culture that developed within the organization since he purchased, purchased full control of the team more than two decades ago. Quote, let's be really clear. This is a human issue. I'm sorry that anyone was hurt, he told the Wall Street Journal. But we can change. Over the summer, the Washington Post reported a series of allegations regarding rampant sexual harassment and the mistreatment of female employees by superiors in the organization. The team opened an investigation into Snyder and the organization. The NFL later took control of the probe. Results have, have yet to be released, thanks to the NFL. We are apologetic, Snyder told the journal, adding that it hurts reading and hearing about the accusations, which include the former vice president of broadcasting asking an employee to cut a lewd video of cheerleaders during a photo shoot to give to Snyder. Quote, we thought we needed a change just across the board and we're working very, very hard at it, he told the journal. And he thanked the cheerleaders. No, he didn't. The Archbishop of Westminster, Cardinal Vincent Nichols, has apologized to victims and survivors of abuse inflicted over 50 years in the Roman Catholic Church in England and Wales. Before that, you're on your own. Cardinal Nichols was heavily criticized by the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse in its final report on the church, published a couple of weeks ago. In his personal statement, Cardinal Nichols said that the, quote, terrible wickedness, unquote, of what had happened in the past was a, quote, reality that, that hangs like a dark cloud over my heart and mind. Hangs over them both. Unquote. Not the cl not the Amazon cloud, a different cloud. To victims and survivors, he said, I say this for many bishops who have gone before me over these 50 years. Many hearing this will feel that we let you down. Yes, we did let you down in many ways, in different times, in different places, for different reasons. I apologize again. I'm so sorry for all that has happened over these years. And for the extra verbiage in this about No, he didn't. No, he didn't. An adjunct history professor's email to students at Texas Christian University sparked a firestorm on Twitter, later prompted her to apologize to the class. Dr. Melanie Kirkland sent students an end-of-semester email about her grading policies that told students not to send, quote, stories about deportation, disappointed parents living in your car, grades for your fraternity, sorority, law school, etc., in attempts to get their grades improved. Kirkland, Kirkland said the time for those issues had passed. Student posted the email on Twitter and blasted Curland. 
And that went viral. Of course, Kirkland, it is Kirkland. It was a typo a moment ago. Many on Twitter criticized her for suggesting that issues such as being deported or homeless were nothing more than excuses to help improve grades. Later, she sent another email to the class apologizing for her actions. TCU announced that Kirkland had apologized. But the university didn't. Arm's length, babe. Now I babed you. In August 1968, Lynn Conway, a promising computer engineer at IBM in Sunnyvale, California, was called into the office of the company's director of advanced computing systems. Gene Armdahl, he'd been supportive when he learned that she was undertaking a gender transition, Ms. Conway wrote. But the company's chief executive, Thomas J. Watson, was less tolerant. That summer day, Armdahl had grim news for her. Ms. Conway wrote later, I was fired. That's the Watson that the supercomputer that beat Jeopardy is named after. That Watson. 52 years later, Miss Conway was called back to speak with IBM. Supervisors, this time the setting was a virtual meeting. Other company employees watched as Diane Gerson, IBM's HR senior vice president, told Conway that while the company now offered help and support to transitioning employees, no amount of progress could make up for the treatment she had received decades ago. Miss Conway... 82 years old, now, was given a Lifetime Achievement Award for her pioneering work in computers. It was so unexpected, she said in an interview. It was stunning. Bob Dylan is still very much alive. Australian TV show Today has apologized after mistakenly announcing that the musician had died show aired a segment over the weekend about the songwriter's documents being auctioned off in Boston for almost half a million, with an on-screen banner reading, quote, Late singer's documents sell for 495000 Host Richard Wilkins eventually apologized to viewers, saying, We need to make a correction now. About half an hour ago on our entertainment chat, we correctly ran a banner on your screen about Bob Dylan. It was false, and we apologize for the confusion. The collection of documents included interviews between him and a late American blues artist, Tony Glover. The interviews revealed that he wrote Lay Lady Lay for Barbara Streisand. All right, then. A school district in Washington state that has 16,000 students has apologized for lumping Asian-American students with white people. Nobody wants to be lumped. Amazon, there they are again, has said it is investigating what has happened to missing PlayStation 5 deliveries amid reports of thefts. Many feared their consoles, UK customers especially, had been stolen in transit. Allegations leveled at delivery staff. We're really sorry about that and are investigating exactly what's happened. Amazon said they did not blame their cloud. Director Tristram Shapiro it's spelled that way, has come forward and apologized after actor Lucas Gage shared an Instagram video of Shapiro insulting his home during an audition over Zoom. The uh, actor is adjusting his camera in the video when the voice of a man with a British accent can be heard saying, these poor people live in these tiny apartments like I'm looking at this background and he's got his TV and, you know, Gage then grins and makes it clear he can hear the director telling him, you're unmuted. I know it's a crappy apartment. That's why give me this job so I can get a better one. All right, ready? The director immediately apologized, clearly embarrassed at being overheard. First and foremost, he said in um, 
essay published at Deadline. I offer Mr. Gage a sincere and unvarnished apology for my offensive words, my unprofessional behavior during the audition, and for not giving him the focus and attention he deserved. My job is to evaluate performers against the part I'm trying to cast. Lucas deserved better. I was using the word poor in the sense of deserving sympathy as opposed to any economic judgment. My words were being spoken from a genuine place of appreciation for what the actors were having to endure, stuck in confined spaces, finding it within themselves to give a role-winning performance under these conditions. Unquote. Now there's an apology. And Danish Prime Minister Mette Frederiksen on Thursday issued an apology over her government's handling of the mass call as in kill, of the country's farmed mink after meeting a mink breeder. I think there's a reason to apologize for this process, she said. She had no problem apologizing for this process because mistakes have been made. And finally, Denver Mayor Michael Hancock is asking for forgiveness after coming under fire for the upcoming holiday plans of his. Hours after encouraging Denver residents to avoid Thanksgiving travel, the city's mayor's office confirmed he's flying to Mississippi to spend the holiday with his daughter and wife, according to his office. As a public official whose conduct is rightly scrutinized for the message it sends to others, I apologize to the residents of Denver. I made my decision as a husband and father. For those who are angry and disappointed, I humbly ask you to forgive decisions that are born of my heart and not my head. And after all, I'm going to Mississippi. No, he didn't say that. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, to copyrighted feature this broadcast, and now News of the Warm, and um, ideas come back around, it seems like, <laughs> to speak kind of the worst English I've ever, that's ever come out of my mouth, dialing down the sun's heat a notch by injecting billions of shiny sulfur dioxide particles into the stratosphere. Geoengineering, a couple of years ago, it was scorned for many reasons, among those, the fact that we had no idea what the um, unpredicted and unpredict- unpredictable effects might flow in the aftermath of doing that. Now, new peer-reviewed research says it could curtail devastating drought across parts of Africa. It would slash the risk of another day zero drought in Cape Town, city of 3.7 million, which ran out of water in 2017. As a likelihood, the global warming will exceed the Paris limits of 2 degrees centigrade uh, Celsius. Scientists and policymakers are now taking a serious look at geoengineering. These are schemes to cool the planet that were rejected, as I say, not long ago as dangerous science fiction. People working on climate change are waking up to the fact that if curbing emissions doesn't prove sufficient, (laughs) then blocking out some sunlight could be our only hope of achieving that. That's uh, Andy Parker, project director for the Solar Radiation Management Government Initiative, talking to Agence France Presse. It's not a pleasant thought, but we may have to decide whether it is riskier to reflect away sunlight or riskier to go over the two Celsius threshold. News of the warm. Ladies and gentlemen, don't, don't it make you feel nice and toasty?
Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've come to the end of this edition of the show. I don't know how it happened, probably by proceeding forward from the beginning, but back next week, same time, on these same radio stations, radio, and at the time of your choosing, on the audio device of your choice. Because this is, this is the land of freedom, isn't it? That's what I thought. And it would be just like this being the land of freedom if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already thank you very much? Uh-huh. The tip of the show, chapeau, to the San Diego desk, and to Pam Halstead, and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans. And thank you for listening. The email address for this program, the music playlist, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, all at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter, at the TheHarryShearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.